You're listening to Rocks Across the Pond, the curling podcast that goes around the globe looking for the best stories in the world's coolest sport. We have curling news and views for everyone, whether you're playing in your Thursday league or following your favorite teams on tour. Now here are your hosts, Ryan McGee and our professor of Peel, Jonathan Havercroft. Hey everybody, welcome to Rocks Across the Pond. It's a curling podcast coming to you from Richmond, Virginia. My name is Ryan McGee and joining me in Southampton, England is our professor of Peel, Jonathan Havercroft. Jonathan, how are you today? I'm good, yeah. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. It's I, I did have a success today. Uh, it is very cold today for, well, for, for Virginia. It is cold. What's um, cold in Virginia? For, yeah, compare, everything is relative. Well, what is it? Uh, 30. Oh, that's colder than Southampton. <laughs> um, so comparatively, it's cold. But there is a window in my office that I have, it, the windows in this house are like old. And there's a window in my office that is not shut all the way since I moved into this house. And today I got it to close. To so that was, a, heating. that was a huge victory for me in terms of not being cold while working. Is heating uh, expensive in the U.S. right now or not? Um, No. <laughs> so you're not getting... getting everything like, is relative, right? You're not getting 300 pound heating bills. It'd be like four fifty. No, I'm not getting a four fifty heating bill. <laughs> that's that, that's life in England right now. Good grief! No, we've got um, the upstairs where the office is is a heat pump. It's not gas. Yeah. Yep. That's good. Yep. Our house is old. It's gas. It's very drafty. Not well. Fortunately, I have fixed the draft in my office. Um, somewhere where it's probably a lot colder right now is Alberta, and that's where we are heading today. Yeah, Alberta is cold. Well, unless you get a Chinook, then it's all right. What's a Chinook? You don't know what a Chinook is? No. Why would I? You just alienated like all of our Alberta listeners. I mean, look, I took. Um... I took two meteorology courses at the University of Oklahoma, which is a legit meteorology university, and I still don't know what a Chinook is. I did uh, pass. It's like the wind comes off the Rockies in the winter, okay. and it warms things up. So Cal- so Calgary could be like minus 20, and then a Chinook comes in, and then it's like 10. How does that work? How does the wind come off of the Rockies and warm things up? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I I do know who would know is Scott Scott Graham. Well, yeah, come on, and he would Scott, like explain. He would explain is cursing Chinook. both of us right now. <laughs> he probably is. I just know that it's wind comes off the Rockies and it makes it warm in the middle of February. I know when wind comes off of the Rockies, it causes tornadoes in Oklahoma. I know that aspect of it. So it's the same thing. It's like a Canadian tornado. Okay, there you go. <laughs> I'm just now, now nobody Scott, dies. Now Scott is really bad. <laughs> Except nobody dies and it's pleasant. You don't have to hide anyway. So it's basically the opposite of a tornado. 
But anyway, we're going to Alberta. Specifically, we are going to the city of Camrose, which is about an hour southeast of Edmonton, to talk to the 22-year-old general manager of Rose City Curling Club, Kieran Scora. And uh, the Rose City Curling Club has done a bunch of what I thought to be kind of unique events to try and get people out curling and to reach out to the community there. And uh, it sounds like it's been successful. You have a city in Camrose. Uh, Jonathan, Camrose is about the size of Altus. What's Altus? In, this, Al- in Oklahoma. Yes. It's about the size of Altus. All right. And it's got a nine-sheet curling center, which uh, Kieran will explain why they're currently running six sheets, uh, and 200 members. So really good, um, especially coming out of the pandemic. And Kieran will tell us uh, about these programs and how they've been successful. All right. We are joined by Kieran Scora at Rose City Curling Club in Camrose, Alberta. Kieran, thank you so much for joining us. We're excited to hear about all the great things that your club is doing. Yeah, it's my pleasure. I'm excited to showcase what we got going on. All right. So we start with the same question that we ask all of our guests, and it's just to help everyone uh, get to know you. I actually, I stole, like every good idea, I stole it uh, from a rugby league podcast of all things. But uh, so just to start us off, tell us, where are you from and what was it like growing up there? Yeah, so uh, I grew up not too far from Camrose. Uh, it's a place called Wetaskiwin. It's about 30 minutes west of here. Um, I grew up in a good home, both two parents. Um, I had lots of friends growing up and and uh, my parents worked hard for for me to be able to do anything I, I really wanted. Uh, Wetaskiwin, however, isn't a relatively great place to live. It's it's known for some poverty and and. Um, there's cycles there that I got to see growing up that not a lot of people really do uh, when they, especially when they grow up in cameras, it's a little different. Even just 20 minutes down the road, it's, it's different worlds here. So, but you know, all in all, um, I wouldn't change anything. Growing up, I had everything I, I needed, and, and I'm lucky to have been provided that for myself. So, how did, I mean, how did growing up and seeing all that kind of uh, affect you growing up, and how did, it, how did it impact kind of what you wanted to do with your life? You know, I don't know if it really impacted what I wanted to do with my life. I still don't really know what I want to do with my life. I'm fairly <laughs> young. Same. So, um, I'm just going with the flow, working in something that I want to work in. Um, I'm lucky to have a job and in a sport that I love to play in. So I'd say I wouldn't, I wouldn't be very humble if I said it, it shaped me to be a better man. I blame that on my parents mostly. Um, just seeing, seeing some of the things. So growing up, I never really noticed it right away, but once once you turn about the age of 14, 15, you really start to notice where people's paths kind of go in different directions. And I wouldn't say it's difficult, but it's helped me kind of understand that not, not everybody really starts on the same page. Um, um, my parents were always very good at explaining to me that, that, uh, we are lucky to have 
the things that we have, especially in the community that we, that I grew up in. So, I I mean, I grew up in probably one of the safest part parts of Wetaskiwin, and uh, all my friends were a bike ride away, five minutes, and and I got to hang out with that with people and and be, be with um, be in a group that wasn't going to lead me down any any of those paths. Um, but it was very obvious that some of those people did not get that that opportunity. And um, I see there's homelessness there and and people are just living on the on nothing essentially and it's it's not even five minutes down the road or or, or wherever from even the nicest parts of town. It's it's a very small place. It's only fifteen thousand people, I think at most. And so it's 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 a little it's it's a little odd for a, a, a place um kind of stuck in between everything in, in in Alberta. So did did curling play any part in you escaping all that? No. So I actually started curling fairly late in my life. I started curling in grade nine. So I was 14 years old. Okay. And so I guess this is moving on to our next topic. So I got into curling. Yeah. Um so when I was 12, I joined the Royal Canadian uh, Air Cadets. Um, and so from 12 to 19, you can do that. Um, and it's kind of an introduction to the, the military aspect that Canada has. And so um, I did not like it too much. Um, some of the programs were awesome. And I really like I made a few friends and and I got to do a lot of things. Um, I have a twin brother and he did the programs that the the that the that squadron of air cadets really favored so we had a biathlon team and he was on that and they really pushed for that program to be huge but i didn't like skiing in the cold so uh, (laughs) i chose to instruct sports and just kind of hang out with the the funner crowd and and, um be kind of like the morality leader around the 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 squadron instead of pursuing the the athletic um, medals that, that the squadron was really focused on. And so within about year two or three of cadets, I decided I didn't want to really do that anymore. And there's a rule, <laughs> there's a rule in my household. Um, if you do not want to do something, you got to find something else to do, but no matter what, you're not doing nothing. So if you come home from school and you finish your homework and you don't have anything to apply yourself outside of school, then you're doing something wrong. So um, my mom told me to go find something to do. So I tried bowling for a year, hated that. <laughs> um, one of my friends, one of my longtime friends from school, um, suggested that I should try curling. And he did it for a year when he was younger, when he first moved to Wetaskiwin. And, um, he didn't really go very far in it, but he said, if I joined and just gave it a go, he would join with me for the year. So I joined the, the junior program that year. And, the first time I threw a rock, I picked it up halfway through my slide and I dropped it on the ice and it made a pretty big crack in the ice and I felt really bad. And I was like, well, that's not as easy as it looks at all. So so, so your very first shot, you're in the doghouse with the ice makers. Yes. And he watched me. <laughs> yeah. The, the old ice tech there just was watching me the entire time and he didn't, he didn't seem disappointed. He knew it was my first time, but you know, it's, it's 
when, when you try and lift a rock for the first time, you know very quickly that maybe this is too heavy to be lifting regularly. So, <laughs> yeah. And you, you wound up becoming an ice tech at one point, I did. right? Yeah. So um, I work, I currently work for a company called uh, Tim's Ice Manufacturing. So my boss is Matt Yo, um, son of the, one of the legendary ice techs in Canada, Tim Yo. And, okay. um, and so he's, he's got this new model for what he thinks the curling clubs can look like going forward. And so essentially he's, his idea is that instead of just having one guy getting paid for, uh, one and sticking around the building the entire winter and, and making sure ice is ready, he thinks that we can have, um, multiple clubs working together with a team of ice techs. And so when I was. Uh, 17. Um, I was a couple years into curling at that point, And my dad, who was on the board at the Tasquin Curling Club, told me that um, the new ice guy is looking for part-time work. And so he's like, just go on Wednesday and put on your shoes. And at the time I was working at the movie theater, it was my very first job. And so I walked in and he, um, I just see this guy with this huge mustache and this has got to be the guy I shook his hand and he sat me down. He's like, what are you looking for? And he's like, well, this isn't rocket science, or I guess he says this isn't rocket appliances. And so <laughs> he showed me within the first half an hour meeting him how to clean pebble and nip a sheet and the rest is history. So for three years I did that. I learned how to scrape and, and install and uninstall curling ice. I'm, I'm still not certified as an ice tech, but I can confidently say that I can, install maintain and uninstall a, a curling club um by myself or with with some help but i i know how to do it so um, was it the same guy that watched you take a, a piece no, out of his ice when no, you were first starting oh no, so unfortunately with task that was the last year he was there his name was don minchow and uh he was older and he decided he wanted to retire and then we picked up this new guy for the second couple of years that i was curling getting into curling named Corey, and he was not great at doing ice he i don't think he scraped once in a season so like we had just pebble layers on pebble layers on pebble layers and it was just heavy and straight and and apparently the board decided that we needed to make a change and they ran into tim's ice that way so uh, okay so you're now the GM at the Rose City Curling Club. How did you become the general manager at a curling club at at such a young age? Um, so this is all part of the opportunities that um, that Tim's Ice has given me. So um, when in my third year doing ice with Tim's Ice, they uh, I was traveling. So I lived in Wetaskiwin still and. Um, I would come and I would scrape and, and do ice maintenance for both curling clubs, the Wetaskiwin Curling Club and this curling club. And it was our first year doing doing ice for this club. And so I would spend a lot of time here, uh, mostly because there was other people working for Tim's Ice that would cover for the later evening stuff in Wetaskiwin. So um, there was a manager here by the name of Sarah Brown. Um, she's currently the manager at the Avenir Curling Club uh, in North Edmonton. And... Um, she did not work for Tim's ice, but she was, she had been affiliated with them in the past. And, and so, um, she ended up moving away. And so the opportunity struck where Tim's ice could pick up the contract to do ice as well as 
the management service at the club. And so he was the first person, Matt was the first person that uh, he asked to, would you consider learning how to run a curling club? And um, I was like, sure, not really, <laughs> not really um, grasping 100% what I was getting myself into, but I figured this would be a good way to kind of advance my career in curling. And, and um, you, I don't consider myself incapable of learning new things. So I just figured I'd hop on board and figure out what it's all about. So, and you know, when you're 19 years old and you first move into your first place outside of your parents' place, the extra money sounds a little nice sometimes too. Yeah. So, and so how old are you now? 22. Okay. Well, don't worry about not knowing what you want to do. I'm 39 and I still don't know. Yeah, so, so don't worry about that. Um, so what are, what are your uh, everyday duties as the GM uh, there at Rose City? Yeah, so I don't know if I consider it everyday duties. Um, I kind of base my, my season on weeks at a time. I have like a list of things to do over the week. So um, just making sure leagues run if somebody calls me and says they can't curl. You know, the usual manager stuff, mm -hmm. making sure that things operate smoothly. But from week to week, I'm working on the next event that we're doing. So we host something typically once every other week. So I'll have a weekend off and then the next weekend we're doing something else, whether it's a bond spiel or a one day event or something like that. Um, and so I'm constantly working on, on spreading my time over the week on doing that. So making sure meals are ready or um, teams are signing up. Um, people know what time they're coming in for the first time, sponsors, um, things like that. Um, I also handle a little bit of the bookkeeping. So just entering things into our accounting program. Um, general administration stuff, filing, yada, yada. So, um, other than that, it's, I would call it being a good host. So being a friend to everybody that comes through the doors, um, picking a league and curling in it and, and putting a smile on my face every night for those guys and, and making sure that they know um, I'm the guy that they can come to for anything that is involved with curling. So, so far I haven't heard that anybody dislikes me here. So <laughs> doing an okay job. So is there anything that kind of caught you off guard as like, okay, this aspect is a little bit harder than I thought it would be. Um, you know, right away, I was very nervous to speak to people within the community, um, sponsors, like contacts for sponsors, business owners, and, and things like that. That's gotten a lot easier with time and just practice and, and putting, putting my face to the name of the curling club, essentially. Um, but it is a little nerve wracking when you're 21 years old and, and this is the first position where you're kind of um, in the public and, and you don't know anybody from town yet. And, and so that was a little difficult at first. And so, um, in August last year, when I first started, it was, it was a little hard to pick up the phone and call and say, Hey, this is who I am. Oh, hopefully I can meet you soon. Sorry, we can't because of the pandemic. But so, mm -hmm. um, I suppose another thing would just be, uh, event planning. Um, so within cadets, I, I learned, a lot about lesson plans and, and building things to do for groups of kids and or things for people to do and, and, and teaching people to learn some things on a physical aspect. 
And, and I consider it almost similar, but um, it, it took a little bit of mentorship from Tim Zeiss and the board on, on their process on, on building an event. This is what we usually do. This is what we, we like to do. This is what people have liked in the past. This is how we do it. Um, and so at first, planning and hosting an event is a little shaky and, and it's expected, but that's something I've gotten a lot better at too, where it, it kind of becomes a motion of the job too. So um, if that makes a little bit of sense. Mm-hmm. So, Well, we'll get into, I want to get more into like the details of some of the events that you've run, but first, um, just first of all, tell us a little bit about cameras. Yeah. Um, what, what's, what makes it special? What do you like about it? And why should people come visit there? Cause you are what 50 miles Southeast of Edmonton. Is that sound, is that about yeah, right? That sounds about correct. Yep. And, um, we're about, I don't know how many miles it is, but I think we're Canadians like to say this in, in hours or they, they judge distance in time. So we're about, a, we're about an hour and a half away from Red Deer and an hour away from Edmonton. So, um, well, that's coming from Oklahoma. That's how, that's how we would say it. Yeah. But, uh, we, we have so many turnpikes. We usually, someone says, how long does it, what's it take to get to Tulsa? And the right. answer is $5. Right. Okay. Interesting. <laughs> I've never heard that before. So, so, uh, Camrose, um, you know, in the couple of years I've lived here, um, I, th- I think this place is pretty great. Um, I'm comparing it to the only other place I've lived, which is not as great as Camrose has been. Um, I feel there's a sense of community here that, um, that I didn't feel growing up. Um, and I, I, I think that's just because I'm involved with, with an organization that is fairly community, community oriented, but I just get the sense that people here do things and are a little more small town homey feeling than, than, um, where I grew up. So, um, there's always something going on in Camrose. Um, you know, we host one of the biggest, uh, country music festivals in, in Canada, the big Valley Jamboree, which is, oh, well. is a lot of fun. Um, quite a few artists come out to that and a lot of big names too. Uh, Morgan Wallen's coming to that this, this summer. So that's the headliner, which is pretty exciting. That's a pretty good headliner for yeah. what you have 18,000 people in cameras. I think so. Yeah. So yeah, that's a decent headliner a of, for, a a, for that. Yeah. For that week. And it's, it's August long weekend and, and this place is just filled with trucks and trailers everywhere and hotels are booked. And that's a, that's a big week, uh, for, for cameras for sure. Um, other than that, the, the college is pretty involved where there's a branch of the University of Alberta here, the Augustana campus. Um, they host events and and they have the Lougheed Center and and um, there's dances. A, a lot of the events, I think, on a on a daily or on a monthly basis are, are oriented towards the older demographic, which is pretty big in cameras. Um, I wouldn't say there's a whole lot of things to do for for people my age. Um, unless they're involved with a sport within their school or like myself. Um, a lot of my friends are, are much older than me. So that's just the way it, it, it kind of has been for a while. Um, yeah, but, you know, cameras is just a very lively place. There's concerts, um, events, and, and, and there's always things to do. And, and I think the curling club is kind of tagged onto that and wants to contribute in, in their own way. So. Uh, 
Tell us about your club uh, and about the about the facility. Um, how many sheets do you have? How many members? And um, I mean, tell us about that membership and you know, how has it changed? Maybe grown or changed since you've been there? Yeah. So last year, it's since last year, it's grown quite a bit. Um, last year was kind of the perfect year for me to kind of step in as a new manager, since we were coming out of and still dealing with some things, um, some restrictions and, and whatnot from the pandemic. Uh, I'd say we have a little over 200 members here uh, this year, um, which is awesome. Um, we have the capability of hosting nine sheets of ice. Uh, wow. One of within 10 curling clubs in Alberta that can do that. Um, however, currently we are operating six sheets of ice. Um, we've kind of fluctuated from uh, nine. So I was the ice tech the last time we did nine sheets. The next year we did eight because the ninth sheet is was a huge pain to maintain because there's this ginormous door that lets wind in and it melts the ice and you know it yeah science stuff and then uh, uh so we did eight sheets for a little while and then the pandemic kind of made us think well let's do six sheets if we're going to lose some members this year and then the next year we tried eight again and that was my first year as manager and and at the end of the season we decided that um, financially, we might need a little bit of a change. And based on how many members we're pulling through the door, um, we don't we don't fill eight sheets all the time anymore. So let's take a look at six. Let's talk to the city about a rent reduction. Um, let's see what we can do to benefit the club and make this place look full again. And so that's what we did this year. Um, so far, I'd say it's been a huge success. We've saved a pretty big chunk of change on, on rent from the city. Um, and the from a league standpoint, all of our sheets fill. So okay. on Monday nights, we have 12 teams. On Thursday nights, we have 12 teams. On Tuesday nights, we have 10 teams. And on Wednesday, I have a group of people who come and practice all the time um, and come in and, and use the sheets that way. So um, definitely haven't struggled with the reduction of sheets. So it's been quite awesome. So it is a city-owned facility, That's and you guys and you guys pay rent. Yep. Okay, um, is that becoming more rare in Canada? Um, our situation, I think, is becoming a little more popular. Okay. Um, I don't know. I think Edmonton's got a, a couple clubs that are are member owned or or aren't um, renting from a place. They actually own the building, and 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 um, I don't see that too often. All of the curling clubs that I grew up going to, um, playing in high school and, and traveling to do bond spiels were all part of a rec center, like just like this one is. Um, the one in Wetaskiwin where I grew up is a separate building, but it's also part of the rec facility that's there. It's owned by the city as well. Um, and so all of the curling clubs that Tim's Ice deals with, deals with uh, leasing from the city, except for the Avenir. The reason we initially reached out was I saw on, I can't remember if it was Twitter or Facebook, but I saw on social media just kind of some some different events that you were putting on, um, I guess, in order to increase membership um, and, to, and to really build community among the members there. Uh, when you started putting these together, you know, were there one, how new are these events that you were doing? And were there any specific issues that you were trying to solve by, by doing these? 
Yeah, so um, this is kind of a deep look into our our take on curling events now and, and moving forward in the, in the world of curling. I'm not sure if it's the same in the United States, uh, um, but in, in terms of Canadian curling, um, we think that there needs to be just a little bit of a change in the way that curling clubs approach membership procurement and and making sure that people stick stick around and, and have fun in in a sport. Um, so uh, hosting events, families, people from the whole community that uh, will enjoy. Um, we believe that uh, getting people within our facility um, to experience an event, a fun event, whether it be um, something involved with music or or another sport that they enjoy, or just something that they could try for the very first time, something we could host that would just be fun for everybody. Um, they can experience that uh, as well as host, or sorry, um, uh, they can feel the hospitality we kind of give out, um, as well as the camaraderie that our membership and our directors um, sort of expel into this facility. Um, we believe that that is enough to to make lifelong curler, curlers out of people who, who wouldn't normally come into a curling club or don't have too much experience curling. Um, it's, we think we're differentiating from a lot of clubs by, by doing this. I don't know if there are original ideas um, per se. Um, the sport of curling has been seeing a low in regular members. Um, not a lot of people know curling is a fun potential hobby that they can just do on a weekly basis. Um, we think that taking events to the next level will fix that. Um, as for community building, um, we just believe that we have an obligation to contribute um, to the to that part in this small town, just making this place a little livelier than it already is. So, so tell us about some of the things you've done. I saw I saw Curl Jam. Yeah, uh, first tell yeah tell us about that to begin with. Oh. Curl jams um, were an idea made by the previous manager before me, Sarah. So um, we decided, or they decided at the time, that um, every, I think it was every other month, the last Friday of that month would be a curl jam, and they would have a different idea, paint night, or a different artist coming to play live music. And we would play four ends of what we call dice curling. So we try and fill all the sheets with members who bring in new curlers or just family members who, who wouldn't normally come into the curling club or people who are just completely brand new to curling and would like to try it out for the first time. So it's a good way to get people involved in the sports as well as out for a night doing something fun. The bar is open uh, and um, it's a social atmosphere. So we play four ends of dice curling, uh, which is... Um, a little similar to what's called envelope curling or random curling. So you play your end, and then we have a sheet of paper that's uh, listed one through six that tells you how to score your sheet. So reverse scoring. So your outer rings cost more than or are closer to the pin than the actual pin is. Um, all rocks on a line count as a point. All rocks out of play count as a point. Um, all huh. rocks that didn't make it to the hog line count as a point, just fun things like that. And so you roll this foam die we have at the end of every sheet um, and you score your your end that way. And so if you really curl well, you probably won't win. 
Um, and so it's just fun. It, it gets people sliding on the ice and, and trying it out and sweeping rocks. Um, and um, it takes about an hour. It's, it's four ends. Um, and then we come upstairs, we'll have 50-50, we'll have some snacks and and live music is, is where it started. Um, in recent times, since I took over, I, I decided that maybe we want to reduce the amount of curl jams we have, keep the cost low, um, but make it a little more quality. So that's kind of where the comedy night came into play. Um, one of our board members, um, we call him the, uh, the poster child of the curling club. He's, he's all <laughs> for new ideas and, and being a host and, and he does name that tune on Thursdays and stuff like that for all of our Thursday members. Um, he decided that what if we, what if we brought a couple comedians in and we hosted uh, a stand up act um, at the curling club and we brought, we sold tickets and people who who don't want to curl don't need to curl to come in and join the show and, and we just host that and so that was that was a great idea we we the first time we did that was the end of last season and we decided we want to do one of those every year so this year we started off with a big one um we had uh, i think probably about 130 people come and watch that show with a different stand-ups and and we had to rent a different room because we couldn't host that many people in our curling club which is awesome wow. so um that's that's essentially where the curl jams came from um it's a it's a great way to get people who who wouldn't normally come into the curling club who or who are scared to just try curling for the first time in in an atmosphere that is fun and, and allows them to not worry about being a beginner uh, are there any other events that you guys have been doing the last couple of years? Um, so this year we tried um, to separate our ladies event from our men's event. So we did, we we're hosting those separately this year. And we brought the Calgary Dueling Pianos to, the, uh, to that event this year. It, it was a pricey um, expense and, and we wanted to make it happen and, and and have something really special for the ladies event. And we made it a denim theme and it was a lot of fun. Um, so there's things like that. Um, that show was awesome. Um, I don't know if we'll ever do that again, but but <laughs> that's kind of the realm of the um, the events that we're, we're, we plan on hosting for, for bringing people on board. Um, and then my personal favorite, one we just hosted last weekend is our swing and sweep. Um, I know this isn't original to this club, um, and not a whole lot of clubs can facilitate something like this. We're lucky to, to partner with somebody who, who can do this for us. Um, but it's our golf and curling day. So um, we had 18 teams this year, and every team plays two six-end curling games. And then um, every team all, will also play a 18-round scramble. Um, and so that means you'll, you'll play best ball off of each other the entire time and your score, um, your score under par will be added to your scoring based on curling. So it's changed a couple of times this year. Cause we're just trying to, it's, it's, we've only host, hosted it three times. So, um, but it, it changed a couple of times with the scoring, but essentially you can make it skins where every end is worth a point, or you can make it points for and against in curling or, and so you're, you, you'll add your curling points to your golf score under par. Um, and then we'll have prizes, a bunch of prizes for, uh, 
men's longest drive, women's longest drive, KP holes, uh, draw closest to the pin, first and second place. And of course, we have a prize for last place as most golf tournaments go. Just just a free round of drinks. Um, Say, there you go, you participated. Um, We've rented a 15-seater bus and and hired a driver so that people can be shuttled back and forth from the curling club to the virtual golf place. Um, And it, it allows for a really late night and uh, a really good time. Nobody has any complaints about this. Um, from what I know, this came from one of our current board members, the vice president of the board, uh, Colin, um, who is also involved with the, the golf club in town here. Um, he, I think he, he partnered up with Byron, the owner of the golf place at first. Um, I was only doing ice the first year that they hosted this. And so I'm not a hundred, 10% how this came about or if they stole it from another curling club. Um, but it's, it's my favorite as somebody who really likes golf and curling. It's, it's a whole lot of fun and, and a lot of people really seem to enjoy it. So some of the guys from my old club in Oklahoma city went and did a spiel in Bismarck, North Dakota, yeah. um, in July. That was that where you played, you played around a golf and and had the bond spiel. Yeah. They always wanted to do a triathlon where you round a golf, bowling and curling all in one day. That's interesting. Yeah. That's a sweet idea. So, um, we only have one curling club in the area that's open in August. So you could do that with that curling club. But unfortunately when you host something in January and you're not open and you've got to golf virtually instead of, uh, instead of in the snow. So, and then uh, two things that I saw on your calendar in addition to normal leagues was I saw that you do have a college league. Uh, how is that different yeah. from, from normal leagues and um, how, how well have you, how well has that been received? So um, at the very beginning of the year last year, when I first started, we had what's called a social league on our Wednesday night calendar. And we had a Thursday night open league. And so I didn't really see a difference in the two other than some people played six ends in one and eight ends in the other. And, and one was a little more of a skill gap than the other one. Um, but since the pandemic, that Wednesday night league wasn't filling. Um, I think two years in a row, I had one team interested in it. So I had to move them to the Thursday league and, and I couldn't host anything on Wednesday. So my idea was, um, you know, there's this, there's this college in town, um, Nobody but the college team comes and curls here. Let's, I'm going to try and get some people interested in curling who are my age. Um, because there's, of course, in most curling clubs, there's um, 10 to 18 year olds. And then there's nobody until you're 35 years old curling, mm. curling at, at this point. Club. So um, try, trying to get that demographic interested. So I partnered with the college, the rec um, organizer, and um, said, this is my idea. We could host a boot camp at the beginning of the year and see if people want to learn how to curl. And I'll have Wednesday nights available for them to come and curl, get a drink. And unfortunately, it's been a lot harder than it looks to get to get okay. people in and interested. Um, the college has even gone as far as, as trying to host a bond spiel with specific groups um, within the college and no dice. And so I've had a consistent group of people who are, who are learning to curl on Wednesdays come in, but it's a very small group and, and that's all that's really come of it. It hasn't really become a league yet. So I'm not hundred percent sure what I'm going to do 
with that. Um, but I know it's not a bad idea. Like there, there needs to be some sort of college presence, I think, other than like a recreational college presence in the curling club. And if you can somehow get it to be course credit. Right. Yeah. And so, <laughs> like it's going to fill up. Yeah. And so I don't, I don't know what the idea is, but, but me and the college and I are still looking at working on hosting a college oriented event, a learn to curl, uh, things like that to try and get people to at least try it out and, and know that this is available for them on Wednesdays. Um, so. And then I saw, it looks like you got a partner, um, with the local co-op for the little rockers. Yeah. So, um, our little rockers last year, I did, I ran all the junior programs last year. I just took it up as all instruct. I've done this before I can teach curling. Um, which is, which is weird since I've only curled for seven years. I can instruct. <laughs> um, and so last year we had 11 little rockers and 13 juniors. So I was able to go on the ice with all of them by myself and, and, and figure that out. And, um, before I was involved, the college actually ran the curling, what was called the curling Academy, the cameras curling Academy and the, the coach of the Vikings and the Viking students would, would host the little rockers and it would be part of their program, not the, the curling club. And they had, um, a pretty big group of students and, and during the pandemic, it didn't run. And then we ended up absorbing the program from the college. Um, and the next year coming out of the pandemic. So my first year as manager, we didn't have too many people come and, and join us. Um, our junior program has always been a little small. Um, but the little rockers, the hit on the little rockers was a little tough to see the fact that there was only 10, um, or 11, um, uh, eight to 12 year olds interested in, in coming and curling. So, um, I had asked around a few members and, and a few members were brainstorming and, uh, as well as members who, who had kids of the age that they wanted to get them involved in curling. Um, what could we do to, to move this information around cameras and get people involved? Um, Neil Bratrude, uh, one of our board members, is actually uh, has an executive position at Wild Rose Co-op here in town. And so he just pulling strings told me at one of the last board meetings last year, uh, hey, put us down as a sponsor for our junior program um, and we'll figure it out. And so he just asked me, make this creative. We'll promise we'll promise hoodies. It's how much for, is it for the season? $150 good. It's 15 weeks. Perfect. That's a great program. Um, and we'll stretch it out to our co-op kids club program. So we had all of a sudden we had access to um, all of these kids within the community involved with other different co-op affiliated programs, um, as well as the reach of Neil and um, Adam and Stephanie Enright, um, a couple members of our curling club. They um, um, using their um, note like know-how of people in the community. Hey, your kids are, are my, our kids age. Let's just get them in curling this year. Let's, let's try this. It's only this, you'll get a hoodie. Um, it's a great program. And, and just like that, we had, um, six or eight plus volunteers willing to teach on a weekly basis. And, um, we expected 
to to grow from 11 to about i think our goal was 30 students um which would fill four or five sheets of ice and, and we'd be able to handle that but currently we have 49 little rockers this year already we we blew up very cool and it was it was awesome it's awesome to see and a lot of them already within the first year of completely developed an awesome slide probably better than mine and <laughs> and most are starting to throw rocks from one end of the sheet to the other and the little ones are learning how the rocks react to each other and and, and um the courtesies of being on a curling sheet while while others are on it so it's it's great to see um that members st stood up and, and wanted to grow our grassroots and and develop curlers from a young age so which is awesome Right. So that's, that's great. What have it, what's been the results of some of the other programs as well for some of the, for getting older curlers in, have the results been what you were hoping for? Um, yeah, I'd say so. So for our, so the crowds we bring in for like our curl jams and stuff, um, our recreational curlers. So our Thursday crowd has seen some growth. Um, and if not curlers, we'll get a lot of regulars in the bar on Thursday that just come and hang out with those teams, yeah. um, which is always good for the curling club. Um, so we get a pretty good crowd that comes upstairs and hangs out for a quite a few hours after um, curling is over. Um, and so we've seen a few of those teams from previous years um, split up and take on their other friends um, that showed up to that first curl jam and said, I'm interested in getting involved. So all of a sudden one team becomes two and two teams becomes three and so on and so forth, which has been pretty awesome to see. So there, there is some growth. Um, as far as our competitive league goes, that hasn't really seen too many changes, but our spare list is definitely growing, um, which is always good to see people are, people are getting involved. So. Did that kind of happen naturally? Was it hard to get, teams to you know split up so that they can bring on new curlers uh so as for the teams that have board members involved no um they, they okay. are always interested in, in in bringing on people even if it means um not playing on the same team that you really enjoy playing on great i'll just bring two more friends in and all of a sudden there's eight friends coming up to the lounge afterwards um and to have a, have fun like it's to the Thursday group um, where most of our board members curl, it's not not that hard for them because they're all hanging out and having fun. Anyway. Mm -hmm. it's, it's for nothing. Um, and you get to play name that tune for a round of drinks afterwards. So it's, it's a lot of fun for them. As far as our more competitive teams go, um, they've been, I, from what I've seen, it looks like they're the same teams that were curling together on the same league five years before I was even involved. So, um, there's still some work to do there on, on trying to get some more people kind of getting interested in competitive curling here. Um, but I'm certain that will come with time. As soon as, as, soon as some of these new newer curlers get a, get a hang of how, how they're curling, I'm certain there will be some that step up to the plate to, and want to take the next step and um, curl competitively and, and bring some more teams to that plate. Um, another thing um, that I've seen some growth in was is our doubles league on Monday. This is the league that I curl in. Um, doubles is kind of a new discipline to Camrose or curling in general, for that matter. Um, I know a lot of other clubs have doubles leagues that are pretty successful, and some do not. And so last year I had 
five teams in my doubles league. And it was the first year that we kind of, kind of ran that. And it was really disappointing at first, but it was also just another symptom of, of a slow season. This year we have 12. So we fill all six sheets on a, uh, on Monday, um, which has been awesome. And a lot of people just started playing doubles for the first time. They really like the fast place, fast paced action. Um, and I already know next year that even doubles partners will be splitting up and bringing some different people on board to, to grow that league some more. So, Very cool. Uh, do you have any advice for other clubs or other organizations that are looking to bring new programs into their club or looking, you know, thinking outside the box in order to help grow membership? This is something I don't know if I have enough experience to advise on. Um, just cause I'm still new. Uh, I very much think I'm still learning to, to be in this position from, from the board and, and other people around me. I'm always asking questions. So, um, if anything, I could use the advice, um, from what I'd say is, is, um, it's, it starts at the board of directors, um, or the members that are involved in volunteering. Um, they need to put their goals for the club on the, on the table and they need to brainstorm on how, how they're gonna make that happen. So we want we want more members. Okay, what kind of events in their town uh, could bring these people into their curling club? Um, how do we how do we get more juniors? Okay, who who would like to go around and, and take the time to, to to develop the curlers as well as um, go and grab people who might be interested in curling or put them in the league for the year. Uh, how do we, how do we sell that to people? Um, so I'd say if there's something that your club needs to work on, um, then it needs to be a group discussion and it needs to be a group effort. It's um, nothing can really happen alone in a curling club. And I think um, if, if people want to see something improve, then, then make it happen two or three people can, can easily make a huge improvement within a curling club. So that would be the advice I'd say. Is that hard to do? I'm lucky to, to say that, um, this board is very active. Um, it's nothing like I've ever seen, uh, even growing up in Wetaskiwin, their board has members who are just, um, I'm not, I'm not even sure why they're on the board. They, they sit and they put their opinion in every month and then, they don't volunteer for anything. So like, I think it's very important to have um, a board full of young ideas um, looking to advance. They're open to the idea of change. Um, and so I'm lucky in that fact that I get to see members of our curling club actually put their ideas to, to work and, and see what they can do with it instead of just saying this is what needs to happen and doing nothing about it. I know that for a fact that there's curling clubs who, who have discussed all of these ideas and haven't gone anywhere with it. And it's, um, I know it's difficult to do for, for sure. Um, the, I, I feel as if this curling club is one of the outliers, um, where if something's hard to do, um, but we want to see the community that we're involved in and grow and, and become something that's better than it was last year, then they, most of them understand that they need to do something about it and it's going to take a little bit of effort. So 
what's next for you guys? Are there any new programs that you're looking at for next season? Or is there anything that you want to, obviously you talked about the college program, but is there anything else that you're looking to strengthen next year? Um, so I think strengthening something, our junior program, um, the first year we, we blew up, we got programs and we're teaching a lot of these kids were first year curlers and they now know how to throw a rock, which is awesome to see. I think for that next year, we need to set up some sort of external program attached to that. Let's make some teams. Let's send them to Sherwood Park for a weekend. Let's put them in bond spiels. Let's put them in games. Let's organize with other curling clubs and, and bring their juniors on board for a game day. Um, let's get them actually playing uh, curling instead of just learning how. Um, so that's I'd say that's the next step for that program uh, there. Um, we've done a very good job at teaching people how to curl, but let's, let's get them curling. Let's get them playing the sport that they're involved in. Um, as far as all of our other events go, I'd say we've hit a pretty good spot here where we, I don't say we want to grow any more than, um, where we are now without improving on what we've developed already. So making sure the comedy night keeps getting bigger and bigger. What can we do with our other curl jams? Um, we did 12 teams for the swing and sweep last year, 18 this year. Let's try 20 next year. Um, what can we do with the prizes that are different? Um, stuff like that. Um, so I think it, aiming at improving our current situation is, is going to be priority number one. Um, new, as for new programs, um, we would like to start doing some things over the off season that could raise the club a little bit of money. So. Um, I suggested a golf tournament. There's a few other curling clubs in the area that do the same. Um, I don't think we'll make that happen. However, um, there's this game. I'm not sure if you're familiar with it. I'm not even familiar with it called Bunnock or Bones. No. So it's it's very – I've called it Hick in the past, but I'm not 100% sure what it is. So, <laughs> so it's um, a 10 by 10 court, and it's four-person teams. Games last anywhere from – five to 15 minutes, even 30 seconds from what I've been told. I'm not hundred percent sure how it works, but I think it's similar to curling and where you're trying to place your pieces closer to a main piece, kind of like a bocce ball. And so okay. you, you do this by throwing pieces of horse bones. I think they're horse ankles. Um, you can get synthetic um, pieces now. So like this is a, apparently it's a way bigger thing that I ever thought um, and not that far from here, there's a yearly bones tournament, um, where there's 70 some teams that show up, which is a ridiculous amount of people. And it's huh. a whole weekend. There's food trucks and a bar and families go out and they bring their camper and, and they spend a weekend playing bones. And so, um, we got, we got a new board member this year who has helped with that before and, and thinks that. We could host one of our own in Camrose. It's something that Camrose has never done before. Um, and so we think we can do one of these. Um, we have some people who, who are interested in Bones and have played Bones before. Um, I'm going to step aside and just watch and learn this. <laughs> I have no idea what Bones is, and I'll have to wait and see and, and see what happens. But I'm, I'm lucky to say we have some board members who are interested in, in hosting this event and, and know what they're doing. So... Um, that'll be something we're aiming to do in, in April. And I think going forward, we'll probably want to start developing some more some more events for the community in the summer to make a little money in the off season. So 
And then I guess my last question, you know, you talked about how, you know, there's a lot more community involvement with the curling club and you, f you feel like the club fits in with the community there in Camrose. Now that you have this experience there, do you ever dream of taking that back to the Wetaskiwin uh, club? Cause you said how, you know, you don't really, you didn't really see that when you were there. Do you feel, do you feel the need or feel like you could someday go back and provide that to it, to, to your hometown? I still curl at the Wetaskiwin Curling Club once a week as well. Okay. On Tuesdays. Uh, I wouldn't say I'm too involved with the club, but I, I go to their events and, and I'm, I would say I'm a member there as well. So what the, one thing Wetaskiwin has already done well without me is, um, is bringing those new members in, like using those, that kind of event to, to bring newcomers into the curling club. And so they're, they're in fact, they are a growing club in, in that aspect as well. And in some ways better doing better than cameras. So they have adult learn to curls that are very busy. We do not have. Okay. I love that curling club. It's paradise. I, I, I love all the people that come out of that curling club. Um, that's about it. So. Okay. That's fair. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Um, well, Kieran, do you have anything else you want to add or anything, uh, anything in addition that maybe we didn't ask? I think you had a point on larger events in cameras. Um, I feel like it might, oh, yeah. it might be a good time to discuss the, the large event we just hosted. Oh, yeah. What, what, what was your involvement with the Grand Slam event that was so, just there? Um, I wasn't one of the main directors in put, pulling on um, – putting on the event that was down to our volunteer board and, and, um, the committee. Um, I don't know if a, if a manager of a club is capable of taking on such an enormous job for an event like <laughs> that. And so I did step aside and I watched, and it's also surprisingly, it's also the first live curling event I'd ever witnessed, let alone okay. be involved in, which was a great experience. Um, so I co-directed the, um, statisticians for the the volunteer statisticians for the event um this was only because the director also coaches the vikings um and they had a bond spiel that weekend and so he had to step away so i just took over the supervising role for that on friday saturday sunday um which wasn't wasn't too big of a deal um so i i was doing stats for some of the games i did some of the televised games which was really cool it's a little nerve-wracking when you're stats <laughs> tv but i don't know if it really is anything other than a talking point for the for Ke uh, kevin martin and, and whoever's in <laughs> so um uh, i don't know if curler should really take that this the stats as seriously as some might but um other than that um it was hosting the athletes that came to Camero. So uh, we closed down the club for that week, no leagues or anything like that. Um, and I had ice open for practice the, the entire week. Um, and so I got to be close with a couple teams that practiced often. Um, I got to shake hands. I didn't get it. I wasn't asking for signatures or anything like that. I, <laughs> I wasn't terribly starstruck by a lot of the teams, um, like a lot of the older people are in, in the Camero's community or seem to be. Um, but it was cool to kind of involve myself that way and, and be a, be a good host and, and let these professional teams know that, Hey, if there's anything the curling club can do for you, just let me know. This is my phone number. And, and they all seem to really appreciate that. Uh, team Tiranzoni 
um, gave me a bunch of like these signed things and, and said, you know, you, you were awesome this week. If we needed anything, you were there for us. Um, and uh, Team Fujisawa, the winner of the women's event, gave me a box of chocolates and and <laughs> this little curling rock, like lucky totem charm thing. And they were super nice. The, probably the nicest team I dealt with all week. Great crowd. Um, and so that's that was my main contributing role, I suppose, to the event. Other than that, I would walk around and ask how everybody's doing. I would help with wherever somebody needed something. So I, I, I don't say I played a major role in facilitating, but if somebody asked me for my hand, I was all, I was usually available for that. So, um, and then I'm I, guessing most of the volunteers for, for the event probably came from the club, right? Uh, yeah, most of, um, one thing that's cool about cameras is that we got a lot of people as soon as we sent out the volunteer email saying, Hey, if you want to be involved with this event, a lot of people, um, from who don't curl just came and said, Hey, I'm interested in volunteering. This is what I can do. This is the experience I have. Um, and so we had a pretty big volunteer pool. Um, and I'd say a little under half of them weren't, aren't current members of our curling club, oh, wow. yes, which was really cool to see. So, um, yeah, the, I think the event went super well. Sportsnet and the Grand Slam seemed to think that we did a really good job. The seats on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday were full. So we had we have a pretty sweet stadium uh, set up here for our AJHL team, and that's where we hosted the event. And so it's 2,500 people, roughly. And we had that place packed and cheering for curling games, which was really cool to see. Um, when Japan was in the final, there was families here waving the, the Japanese flag, and and which was cool and um it's it's really awesome to see something like that in, in a place like cameras um it's it's unexpected almost um but it's it really shows that there there might be some history here that's that's yeah. pretty deep in, in curling so hey the next step is to get those uh on your club ice yes absolutely so uh, well, Kieran, thank you so much for joining us and telling us about uh, what your club is doing to solve a lot of problems that a lot of other clubs around North America are facing. Um, if anyone uh, wants to pick your brain, how can they get a hold of you and how can they learn more about uh, Rose City Curling Club? Yeah, so um, once again, thank you for hosting me. Um, this was a cool experience. I'm glad I could uh, tell everybody how, how we're doing things, if we're doing things a little differently. Um, the best way to reach me, I'd say, is email. Um, you can find uh, the email on our website, uh, camroscurling.com, www.camroscurling.com. Um, the email is rcc at cable-links.net. It's a mouthful. It's I hate that email, but you'll find it there <laughs> if you're having trouble spelling it. Um, you'll find all of our other events, all of our information, just like that, just like, uh, on our website. And you'll find a way to, uh, phone me there as well. If you have any questions that are a little too lengthy for email, but I'd say the best way to reach me is probably over the computer. So. All right, Kieran, thank you again. And, uh, good luck to everyone there in cameras.